We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to another Money Matters podcast. We hope that the cold and grey nights have been a good excuse for you to tuck into all your financial paperwork and get your finances fit for the year ahead. Let's be honest, Laura, you are something of an anomaly because I know that you actually (laughs) enjoy grabbing your calculator, creating a spreadsheet and digging into this. Well, to be honest with you, the rest of us are busy procrastinating and using the time to try and talk ourselves out of eating those Christmas chocolates that nobody likes that are at the bottom of the bowl. (laughs) But there we are. If it's any help, I'm eating the Christmas chocolates while I'm also excitedly going through spreadsheets. Okay, I feel better. (laughs) Now, we've been talking quite a bit about um, debt and financial well-being tips, um, not just about getting healthy and not eating chocolates and actually getting out and running, but also, you know, doing those really important paperwork things. So um, I hope that they have helped. And I want to just give a big shout out to uh, our competition winners who um, won bottles of Kalenio. We obviously spoke to Kalenio last week talking about detoxing, not just your finances, but also cutting back on alcohol. So Mill Wanksker on Twitter, Cabbages and King on Instagram, Gigi underscore Jasmine T36 on Instagram, and Claire underscore 62 times also on Instagram. Congratulations to you. Those bottles will be winging their way over to you because you took part in our competition. So do keep an eye out on our social media sites. We'll have lots more offers for you coming up. And unless you've been living under a rock, then you'll probably have seen lots of headlines warning that the UK is going into recession. Yeah, um, a big one that we've seen a lot of today is all about what size is the recession going to be? Is it going to be a long, thin one or a short, fat one? And I feel like now singing that song I used to sing when I was a brownie about eating worms, but it's not it. (laughs) So it's only logical that our big topic this week is on the recession. So what it is, what it might mean for your finances, but also if there's anything that you can do to get prepared for it. And whether or not there will actually be a recession, because at the moment the jury is very much out on whether or not the UK is heading that way right now or whether we've escaped for now and it's coming a bit later on. But I dare say most of you are thinking, well, actually, in terms of my finances, kind of feel like we're there already but it is like we're quite good at planning this stuff because I've been talking to Pearl Akintola from the credit reference agency Experian about credit scores finding yours improving it and yes what to do with it in a recession so we'll be hearing more from Pearl later but let's get back to basics Danny can you just explain what a recession is there's a technical definition of it isn't there There is a technical definition. So when we talk about how a country is doing, how healthy it is, we talk about growth and we measure that with something called GDP, gross domestic product, which is basically the value of all the goods and services in the country. And what happens technically 
for a country to head into recession is that there needs to be two quarters to so two three month periods of negative growth. So that is when we start talking about GDP going down. We have had already one quarter of negative growth. And the expectation was that when we get the next lot of GDP figures from the Office for National Statistics in just a few weeks time, that they would put an official label on it and say, yes, we are technically in a recession. Now, we're talking about how long a recession might be. Well, just to give you an idea, the last recession that we had was during COVID in 2020. And that was blink and you miss it. As soon as you know they declared that we were in a recession, we were heading out the other end. But looking back to the um, 2008 recession, 1990 recession, which some of you might remember, then you're talking about five quarters. So just over a year when the country was not growing. And this can have a big impact on our lives. So broadly, the biggest impact that we tend to think about is on job losses. So if the country isn't growing by as much, companies aren't doing quite so well, then they're not going to be hiring so many people. Initially, that might be where they just don't replace people who've left. But then what we might see is them cutting jobs. And so that's probably the biggest risk to look out for. Um, But also something that we're already seeing, which is people struggling to get pay rises that keep up with rising prices. Now, we've seen a big impact of that with inflation being so high high, people are struggling to get their pay to increase by as much. But that gets amplified in a recession as companies have a bit less money to spend. And so therefore, they tend to issue much smaller pay rises. Um, And the other area where it relates to the job market is graduate students coming out of school and university might find that the job market is a lot trickier. So Danny's talked about whether or not we will go into a recession. But some of those things that I talked about there, the impacts we're actually already seeing, aren't we? Yeah, we are definitely already seeing it. I mean, particularly in the tech sector, we've heard of a lot of job losses there. And the expectation from the Bank of England, as it puts interest rates up, is that it is going to create a recessionary environment and we will see more jobs lost. We will see unemployment rising. And also something which also happens um, during a recession, because If we are doing well and we're getting pay rises, we're going to be paying more tax. And that means the government has got more money to spend on things like public services and on things like tax cuts. And of course, the reverse happens when we are in a recession. So we thought we'd just have a quick canter through some of the things that you can do to at least try and recession proof your finances. Now, Some of these are going to be really obvious and I'm not going to linger on them because we've also spoken about quite a few of them in our last podcast when we were talking about detoxing your finances. So things like living within your means, don't spend more than you earn. Seems straightforward, but sometimes it's really hard to keep track of. Also, if you can, cut your expenses, you know, try and spend a little bit less every month get a cushion, create a safety net for yourself in terms of savings. A good rule of thumb, particularly if you're worried about losing a job, is to make sure that you've got at least one month of cash which will pay for your day-to-day living on hand in savings just in case the worst happens. And you've also got to remember that life 
goes on. Even if we're in a recession, people are still going to get married. They're still going to have babies. And we're going to be talking about wedding budgeting in an upcoming episode. Yeah, so I think some of the good news is that a lot of the things that you do to prepare your finances for a recession, lots of people will already have been doing as a result of the cost of living crisis. So a lot of the things that you talked about there, Danny, the kind of making sure you live within your means, cutting your costs, um, a lot of those things people will already have done. And also tackling debt, which we've talked about before. So really looking at how much debt you have, um, what tends to happen in a recession if people aren't getting pay rises that kind of Uh, keep up with their expenses is they tend to turn to debt more. But also if interest rates are going up, that debt becomes more expensive. So it's really about looking now at that level of debt that you've got and working out a way to repay it, shifting it to cheaper options. And we've talked about that before. So definitely check out those previous episodes. But I think another area where we should bear in mind is mortgages and house prices. So sometimes what we'll see in a recession is that the housing market um, will slow down and we might see some house price falls. Now, if I had a pound for every time someone has predicted that the housing market is going to collapse and prices are going to fall, I would be much richer than I am now. So I'm not about to join the bandwagon of that and telling you exactly when house prices are going to fall and by how much. But it's certainly a risk that we need to look out for in recessions. If people have less money, they might be less likely to move house. And so some of that Um, very strong housing market that we've seen over the past few years might start to slow down. And so the thing that you really need to bear in mind there is your mortgage. So if we think about the level of borrowing you have, if your house was to fall slightly in value, um, would that present you with some problems when you come to remortgage? And so it's looking ahead to some of those things, thinking about when you're remortgaging. And obviously, we've talked a lot about interest rates having risen and mortgage rates rising as well and the cost of that increasing. But also, it's worth bearing in mind, you know, if there was a small drop, even if it's temporary in-house prices, what impact might that have on your mortgage? And can you overpay on your mortgage or set aside a bit more money to help cushion you against some of that? And it's trying to figure out where to set aside that extra money, where to make those cuts. And I know that we've also spoken about the fact that in some cases, one thing that people have been cutting back on is pension payments. Maybe they've stopped paying into a pension altogether. And It's a particular concern when we're talking about people maybe moving job or losing their job and then hopefully getting another one. It's about making sure that you keep up with those pension payments. It is hugely important in the long term. And particularly if you're younger, it might seem like something that you can, you know, pick up again in 10, 20 years time. But the even small amount that you can put into a pension pot in your 20s can grow substantially because of a lovely term which Laura loves to use, which is compound interest. Is your friend, Laura? <laughs> it definitely is your friend. It effectively means that you get interest on top of your interest, returns on your returns. And so it can really help supercharge your pot, particularly over a longer term. And I think the final way to really think about recession proofing your finances is coming up with alternative sources of income. And so it's thinking about whether you've got that hobby, that side hustle that you could turn into something a bit bigger, different ways of generating extra money, um, as well as thinking about things like, are you getting all of the benefits and the government help that you're entitled to? Um, 
but also things like you can get some great deals for just switching your bank account. You can get a hundred, sometimes more than a hundred pounds just for switching a bank account, which is quite a quick and easy thing to do. Or have you got an old mobile phone lying around that you could trade in and get a bit of money for? So it's thinking a bit more creatively about ways that you can boost your income and, and generate some extra cash. And I know a lot of people are going to be getting mobile phone bills through the post shortly with notifications that their mobile phone payments are going to be going up because it's linked to December's inflation figure. If you are out of contract, do take a look around. You might be able to get a cheaper deal. And always do check that you are not still paying for a handset that you have already paid for. Just tiny things like that can make a big difference. And really, I think the best advice is to plan for the worst, but don't panic because that is something which just isn't helpful to anyone. Always talk to people, get help, get advice. And when we're talking about mortgages, credit cards, any other credit that you might be thinking of taking out, you know, even a new mobile phone contract, all of those things require you to be put through a financial health check. Yeah, so your credit score is a really important aspect of your financial life and the kind of fitter and healthier that your score looks, the better options will be available to you. And actually, we were chatting in the office recently about this. And one of my shortcomings is I didn't really check my credit score that much. Whereas I know lots of other people will check in on it regularly, make sure that there's no anomalies on it, make sure that that it hasn't dropped um, and that it's heading in the right direction. And so we've got a lot of great advice coming up for those people. You can easily find out what your score is for free and you can use a number of different credit rating agencies and you can even find it on some online bank accounts as well. Now, Experian is one of the biggest credit reference agencies in the UK and I've been chatting with Pearl Akintola from Experian about how they work and how you can improve yours. So Pearl, I guess... The first question we've got to ask here is, what is a credit score? So a credit score is a number um, that is calculated to represent um, someone's ability to pay back borrowing. So if you really think of it as um, an indicator of of how somebody has paid back borrowing in the past, because that's what really what makes up credit scores. So behind the actual number itself is something called a credit report. And a credit report is this uh, bunch of information and data about debts that you've had in the past and other types of borrowings that you may have had that may not have been debt, um, like utility bills, and how you have paid them back. Now, if you're, you have paid back, largely paid back the majority of your debt over the last about six or seven years, the higher your score will be. Um, obviously, if you've been quite you know, poor with managing your borrowing over the last six to seven years, then the lower your score would be. So that really was what a credit score is. It's just a history, a representation in numerical value of how you've paid back borrowing in the past. So if you've got a bad score, it could be because you've failed to pay things back quickly enough, or maybe you've, you know, not paid one of your payments that you needed to pay on time or something like that. But also, I guess, if people haven't had any credit, then that can be part of it too. 
Yes, absolutely. So if you haven't had any credit, there is something that um, is a, a basic base score that everyone will start off with if you haven't had any borrowing. Now, the base score is not very high because, quite frankly, as a credit reference agency, we just don't know how you are with borrowing. <laughs> so this is a, this is where we then encourage people to um, get some form of make sure that anything that is some form of lending is used, sorry, is recorded correctly and taken into account in your credit score. And actually, this really brings on brings me on to a point I wanted to make about the importance of checking credit scores because if you do not have if you've not had credit or borrowing in the past. But you're all wondering, what is there? Why am I getting rejected for, for lending when I've never taken out debt? Have a look at your credit report because your credit report will tell you exactly what's being said about you. Is there an address on there that is wrong? Are you on the electoral roll, but for some reason it's not showing? Is there a financial link maybe from a loan that you used to have maybe a long time ago and you've forgotten about? Um, but it's really important to know what lenders can see so that you know what to improve as well. Okay, so how do I go about finding that credit score? Mm -hmm. So there are a number of credit reference agencies that give people access to credit scores, and they all have different uh, websites, or we call them products, that will that you can log on to and subscribe, and they'll give you access to it. At Experian, we have a free application um, that you can download from experian.co.uk um, or from any um, app center or app uh, um, store that you have on your phone. And when you register for the free application, uh, you can get access to your credit score immediately. So you'll be able to see exactly what your score is based on the information that Experian holds about you. And then, of course, if you would like a copy of your credit report, which is the data that feeds into the score. Um, there's really two routes. So one is if you want a one-off report, you can write to us at Experian via the post or email and request a what we call a free statutory report. Um, and it'll be a list of every bit of information that we hold about you and that feeds your score. Or you can register for a, um, a service, a subscription service called Credit Expert. And that gives you ongoing access to your credit report so that you can see exactly what is changing month and month, particularly if you are one of those people who's on the track to improve their score. Um, and of course, alternatively, there are other credit reference agencies, like I said, who'll also give you access to their credit scores that they hold about you. So I'm going to come back to asking what, what the differences are between the different agencies, but some people worry about accessing their credit score. They worry that you know, asking for the information is going to have an impact on their credit score perversely. How often should we check it? Well, so the first thing to, the first myth to debunk is that it does not affect the score itself. You can look at the score as often as you want. It does not change it. It doesn't affect it. What it does do, however, is just empower you so that you have the information of knowing what is on it. Um, so that's one of the myths that we, we definitely have heard in the past. And, and we just want to be really good to clarify and make sure people are aware that you can check it as much as you want. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. Um, how often you should check it, I think, very much depends on what you're looking to do as an individual, what you're looking to achieve financially. If you're looking to um, 
get a sense, just a health check of knowing exactly what is being reported to you or about you by credit reference agencies to lenders, then a one of score, like I suggested, might be the way to go potentially. But if you're somebody who's thinking maybe in a few years, maybe in two years, maybe in a year, maybe less, you will need some sort of borrowing. You might want a mortgage. You might be looking to remortgage. You might be looking for a loan, a credit card, um, something that you're planning for in the future. Then I would highly recommend that you have a look at your score. And if it's not at the level that is that you would consider to be excellent or very good, then perhaps start taking measures and steps to improve it and monitor it on a regular basis. And by regular, just to be absolutely clear, um, credit scores that Experian are updated every 30 days. So there's really no need to check it more than once a month because it's not going to change. Um, but if you do check it on a monthly basis, you'll begin to see somehow some of the changes that you're making in your finances are starting to improve the score and drive it up. So what sort of changes can people make to do that, to drive up their score? Um, there's a few things you can do depending on, um, I guess, what your goals are and where you're hoping to get to. The biggest one and the most obvious one, it would seem, is pay your bills on time. Really simple thing to say, and it, and it seems very obvious and you'd hope that everyone knows this, um, but it is a reflection of how you're able to pay for your borrowing. So if you pay your bills on time, um, and that is, and when we say bills here, um, it's important just to stress that it's not just your mortgage, it's not just your loan and your credit cards. Those are the big ones most of the time. But it's also um, any kind of store credit that you have, you know, that laptop that you bought six months ago and you put on a on a 12-month payback plan that's borrowing. So keep those payments up to date. Um, so keep your payments up to date. And that is by far the biggest thing you can do to improve your score because defaults, county court judgments, missed payments are the things that have a highest negative impact on a score. And then other than that, there's very simple things that um, some people are aware of, like being on the electoral roll. So if you are registered to vote at your current address, um, that will also increase your score. A lot of people don't know that it's a very simple thing to do. But actually what it says to credit reference agencies and lenders is I actually live at this address and I am a, a citizen. The government has a citizen of the country that the government has verified or a resident of the country. And the government has verified that this is my actual address. So it makes you somebody who's more, um, should we say, trustworthy. Um, and then other things you can do as well is uh, make sure your credit card balances are not too high. So when we get a credit card, we all get a limit. Um, our general recommendation is to maintain a good score is not to use more than 30% of your credit card limit as a general guide. Now, if you are gonna use more than 30% of your credit card limit, it doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, absolutely decrease your score by a large amount. But what we recommend that you do do is if you're using more than 30%, try and pay back um, and clear the balance before your next uh, credit card statement comes out. But I just have to do issue a bit of a warning, I think, with that bit of advice there that um, one, I'm very much aware of the fact that a lot of people don't know 
um, when their credit card statement is going to be produced because some of them are on a four week cycle. So the date can change month on month. So be very, very, very careful. Um, and two, it can be hard month on month to use up a balance and then clear it all off again. So the safer route really is to stick within the let's not use more than 30% of our credit card and try to be disciplined if we can. But it's, it's a simple thing that can be done as well. It's not the end of the world if you can't stick to the 30%. <laughs> Lots of people um, will have used buy now, pay later. Many of them might have used it in the run-up to Christmas. So what do people need to know about that? Does that impact your credit score appear on your credit references? Um, so there are really two scenarios with buy now, pay later. Um, there are short, there's short-term lending and there's longer-term lending. So we'll start off with short-term lending. Short-term lending is anything in the region of, let's say, three months um, and is interest-free. Um, in that scenario, currently, that type of borrowing does not appear on your credit report, nor does it impact the actual score that, that um, calculates your ability to pay back debt or predicts it. Um, on the other hand, we have longer-term lending. So this is where you might have a buy and later arrangement over a longer period of time, uh, like 12 months, um, and that does appear on your credit report and can affect your score, particularly if, of course, you do not pay back your repayments on time. Now, this is the position at the moment. In the near future, um, the short-term arrangements will also appear on credit reports. Um, but they will not impact the score. So in the very near future, lenders will be able to, who you have perhaps approached for borrowing, will be able to look at your credit report and see those shorter term buy now pay later arrangements as well. Now, although it won't affect the score that Experian or another credit reference agency has calculated for you, that lender can make an independent decision about how they want to factor that into their lending decisions to you. And if there and are so the, many changes coming up as well, I guess there is the potential that going forward, they could affect your score. Absolutely. So going forward in the future, they may absolutely be taken into account when calculating your score as well. Now, we don't know when that change is coming, um, but it definitely is something that we foresee coming in the future as well. And I'm going to go back to one of the things we were talking about a little bit earlier, you said there are lots of different places that you can go to access your credit score. And the one thing that I've noticed is that they seem to be different, different criteria. What is that about? Yeah, so the credit reference agencies in the United Kingdom have uh, a different formula for working out their scores. So between um, Experian and the other two major credit reference agencies, we all have a slightly different formula, although um, the formula is all designed to do the same thing. So for the, for the most part, I think the important thing worth knowing is being on the electoral roll will have a positive impact on your score, whether you're, your credit uh, score, you're looking at your experience score, or you're looking at your score from one of the other agencies. So the behaviors are still very much the same. It's just that the formulas are slightly different because our total scores are different. Experience scores are out of a total of 999. Um, but there's other CR credit reference agencies whose scores are out of 710 or even 1,000. 
So the formulas are all taking into account the same positive factors and the same things that we'd consider to be negative factors, but we just need to get them to total, to add up to a different total. <laughs> but it's all so the same. So the bottom line is, is good habits for people. And if you can maintain good habits and get empowered by checking your score, even if it's not great at the minute, you can turn things around and make a difference just by seizing the power. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just by seizing the power and knowing what's reported, that can give you uh, the ability to change your, to turn your score around. And also just um, when it comes to turning your score around, something that uh, is worth knowing and just stressing is that, first of all, you'd be surprised how many things are reported on there that you might not even know are there. So I remember when I, um, years ago, when I applied for, uh, for a job and they had a look at my credit score, uh, my credit report, apologies, um, and they told me about a mobile phone bill that apparently was still open and had been open for years, a mobile phone contract that I thought I had paid off. Um, but it was still, the account was still open and therefore showing as another creditor. <laughs> you know, so it's just simple things like that that you can spot and think, oh yeah, actually that subscription, that shouldn't be open still. I should probably cancel that because I don't use it. Um, and then the second thing is if you are on this, on a path to improve your score, um, when a change is reported to us from a lender to say, oh, you know, this particular consumer, let's say Pearl, this customer named Pearl Akintola has cleared off their credit card borrowing with us. Um, it takes six weeks for that change to actually be reflected on your score. So you might not see, you might clear off the debt this month, um, but you won't sit at the score that maybe is produced at the end of January, but you'll see it in the report, in the new score that's updated at the end of February. So it does take a bit of time from you taking the action to do something to improve your score and the lender that um, you've made this change with or you've paid off or whatever to then notify Experian and that for that to be reflected on your score, which is a reason why I think regular monitoring, if you if you are looking to do um, to go on a long term improvement plan, if I can call it that, um, is quite important. So I suppose the last thing I really want to ask you is um, we've been talking about recession. We've been talking about how to financially prepare. What about your credit score, your credit rating? What can you do? when we're in recession, like we appear to be heading into at the moment? Hmm. So um, keeping up your credit score in a recession is probably something that people are not, don't necessarily think of because the focus is on just surviving the here and now and paying your bills. However, we never know when life is going to throw something at us and we need to get some form of lending. It might be for an emergency. It might be because your house is an emergency repair or your car breaks down, you need to buy a new car, et cetera, right? So what I really would recommend is when there is a squeeze on your finances, the priority tends to be on paying for your accommodation. So whether that's a mortgage or rent, and then everything else takes secondary priority over your accommodation, understandably. However, if there isn't enough to go around for all of your bills, the absolute worst thing you can do is just sit on the other debt and not pay it because that will lead to missed payments and defaults and that will absolutely have a negative impact on your credit report and will remain in your credit report for up to six years. So long after the recession is finished, 
when things maybe are much better off, that default will still show on your profile, on your credit report. So what we I just strongly would recommend that people would do is if they, you don't have enough to go around for all of your borrowing and all of your bills, contact your the people that you have uh, borrowing with and negotiate for reduced payments. Absolutely do not just sit on it and not pay it because that is can have a long-term detrimental effect. So contact your borrowers, come to an agreement about how much is being paid. And the agreement that you come to, and even just the act of contacting your borrowers and saying, I'm in financial difficulty, does not affect your score. Not at all. So as long as you come to an agreement with your borrowers that they had that they have agreed to and you are keeping to, then that will help to maintain your score in a much better way than just not paying the borrowing at all. That's really good advice. Thank you so much. I, I didn't know that. So um, thank you and lovely to talk to you, Pearl. Thank you, Danny. Pearl Akintela from Credit Reference Agency Experian. She had really useful information. I was quite surprised by the fact that one mistake can actually stay with you for a really long period of time and impact your financial life for many years. So it's really important that people don't ignore any financial issues they have, talk to lenders and their service providers, but also check for any of those sneaky mistakes on their credit reports. Yes, it is confession time now, our favourite bit of the podcast. And Pearl actually had not one confession, but two. I love it when people really get involved. And both of her confessions struck a real chord with me. Oh, I, I couldn't choose. I have two pretty big <laughs> ones. Um, <laughs> um the first one I think is probably my biggest regret financially is uh, not taking savings seriously when I started working professionally in my early 20s. Um, I had, like and most people in their early 20s, I got my first paycheck and I thought, oh great, I can go on holiday, I can buy clothes, I can do all these wonderful things. Um, and my disposable income after living all these lavish things that I wanted to do with my money was probably 50 pounds, 100 pounds. And I thought it was too little to save. So I just never saved. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, it's too little. So I'll just 50 pounds for takeaway. Um, but years later, I came to regret it. Um, when obviously then I, I had a wedding coming up and then I went to buy a house and I, and I wished that I'd put aside that 100 pounds a month times goodness knows how many years with the compound interest, <laughs> it would have served me well. Um, so that's my biggest regret, I think. But, um, the other one has to be that I must confess that I do have a subscription that I just have not canceled, despite the advice that I just gave to everybody. But I will be doing it after this after this call today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, subscriptions, they can get away from you. I did one last year where I hadn't realised it had automatically renewed for a whole year and I had to wait until January in order to be able to cancel it off, but I've done it. Yay. <laughs> I kept telling myself that I will use the service, which is why I haven't cancelled it yet. I'm like, I will do it. I will do it. And it's now been close to 12 months, so I, I just need to give up and just cancel it. <laughs> The not investing early enough is something that I think so many people have, but it's so understandable. Lots of people in their 20s don't feel like they've got the disposable income, don't feel like they've necessarily got the knowledge to start investing. And I hope that now things are a bit better for the kind of 
teens and 20 year olds of today than they were um, when we were starting investing. I think also auto enrollment really helps as well. So once you start work and you're earning a certain amount of money, hopefully when you are offered that, you sign up for it because, of course, your employer is also putting in cash as well. It's not just you. So it's really worth it. And it's so incredibly tax efficient. And you, you probably won't even notice that it is going out of your wages if you do it right from day one. Now, that is about it for this episode. A big shout out once again to our competition winners. Congratulations to all of you. You should have been notified by now. And do hunt us down on social media, whether you're an Instagram lover, you're on Twitter, or you're a TikToker. We are everywhere and we would love to hear from you. So just search for AJ Bell Money Matters on your platform of choice and you'll find us. But the best way to make sure that you don't miss out on any of our content is to sign up to our newsletter. Just Google AJ Bell Money Matters and you can't miss our site. Loads of really useful articles and also you'll find all of our podcasts there. And we always love to hear from you, whether you've got ideas about topics that you want us to cover, you've got people you want us to interview, or you've just got a burning question you want us to answer, or a confession to submit to the confessional, then do get in touch. You can either speak to us on social media, or you can email us at moneymatters at ajbell.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.